All right. If you've if you've missed out on the start of this new series, I encourage you to get a hold of the message. The video is up on the website, and um, many of you will know we've started a new series. You can see gifts and callings. Gifts and callings. How many of you enjoyed it last week? Did God speak to you? All right. I believe He's going to carry on in that particular process. I'm teaching exegetically and I'm focusing on first. Corinthians. I said to you last week some principles in understanding your calling. We started off with a powerful scripture from Romans 11 verse 29 which says, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. That's a very powerful statement. God's gift and his call are irrevocable. Some translations say are without repentance. The King James says are without repentance. What does that mean? The word repent means to change your mind. In other words, God does not change his mind concerning what he's called you to. Isn't that powerful? God does not change his mind concerning what he's called you to. You can mess up, but he hasn't changed his mind. Now, I will mention to you in subsequent weeks what that actually looks like. Because there are many people who are called by God, but they're not functioning according to their calling. But it's not because of God's mind. It's because of things that they might be doing themselves, but God never changes his mind. Amen. So I think that's extremely powerful, just that revelation, and I built strongly on that last week. I also mentioned to you that the word calling literally is the word in the Greek kaleo, which means to invite. It's an invitation. So when Jesus would say, I'm inviting you to this banquet, right? That's I'm calling you. And it's up to you to accept the calling or to reject the calling. And my question to you this morning is, have you received your calling? How many of you know that callings are there to be received? Amen. I also mentioned to you that your gifts are linked to your calling. So sometimes you can say, I'm called to this. A prophet of God told me I'm called to this. But you are not gifted according to that calling. Then we have a bit of a problem. Because God will resource you according to how he has called you. And I also said to you that whatever calling you have is linked to labor. It's linked to a mandate. It's linked to assignments. Do you remember that? All right. And some of our key points were that number one. It requires maturity to truly understand your calling. And we spoke about that. Number two, we need to celebrate our nothingness. Remember, we need to celebrate how little we are in comparison to God. Number three was, with every calling comes specific assignments. What's your assignment? Do you know what it is? Number four was, we only truly understand our calling when we embrace God's role in it. Number five, we said, our callings are linked to one purpose. So in a church setting, it's important for us to have the same purpose. Because when we've got different purposes, he's going his way, I'm going my way, we have a bit of a problem. And Paul spoke about his relationship with Apollos. And he says that, you know what, we have different gifts, but we've got the same purpose. And I gave you the example of when you go on holiday, the importance of having the same purpose. And I sometimes say to my family, or say to my wife, you know what, this is a holiday for the kids. Let's just say it up front. Because if Paul is going with his own purpose, and my wife is going with her own purpose and the kids their own purpose then we'll begin to have conflict because Paul is feeling he's not resting enough and the kids are feeling they're not being active enough and my wife is feeling she's not doing her thing enough amen one purpose very important and then number six was each person is accountable for their part 
You can't come to a church and say, because we've got a faithful, successful pastor, whatever church we're talking about, you can't say, then I'm also faithful and, and successful. Amen? Each person is accountable as an individual before God. And then number seven was, there's grace available to accomplish your calling. And I'm going to continue now with point number eight. In subsequent weeks, we're going to be looking at, next week we'll look at maximizing your gifts and your callings. Because God can gift you, but it's up to you to maximize your gifting. Amen. And I want to show you how you do that. Then we're going to talk about dedication to your calling. A lot of people, their calling is just a sideshow. And they've deceived themselves into thinking that they're following God in terms of their calling, but they're not really. They're just there, just enough to make them feel like they're doing it, but they're not devoted and dedicated to their calling. Amen. Roger Federer wouldn't be where he is today in his tennis if he wasn't devoted to it. We get to see all those wonderful shots, but behind the scenes, there's a lot of training. Amen? How many of you know that when you practice, when you commit yourself to a particular thing, after a while it becomes easy? We were talking about this with our kids the other day, and um, in fact, I think it was yesterday, and Jaden made a point concerning his drumming. He says, yeah, like that, that one particular piece, it used to be so difficult for me. But now it's so easy. What happened in between? Practice. Amen? Perfect practice makes perfect. But you have to be devoted to it. So we're going to talk about dedication to the calling. And then we'll also talk about fulfilling your calling. In other words, completing your calling. Amen. So I'm going to continue with point number eight. And I'm going to start reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. I'm going to read from verse 10 onwards. Are you ready to get into some words this morning? All right. My key point here is that when you're called to something, you must be careful how you build. When you're called to something, you must be careful how you build. How many of you have ever built a house or overseen a building project? Raise your hand, please. You're not going to be showing off. Just raise your hand. You've, your excuse is you were asked to raise your hand, okay? We won't think you're showing off. Just raise your hand. Let me see. Alright, how many of you know that you can have a house that looks beautiful, but if the quality of the material that was used is not the right quality, if the builders took shortcuts, you'll have problems later on. Amen? I've been in a situation like that where after a while you're told something like, no, you know what happened? You're told by experts. When these guys were actually mixing the cement here, when these guys were mixing the concrete here, they didn't use the right material. Because sometimes you'd be wondering, how come when we're trying to hang up pictures downstairs, you know, it just goes in, it's like, right? But how come upstairs it's different? I'll tell you what, what, what happened. It was in the quality of the building. Someone took a shortcut. Someone bought the cheap material. Now here's the scary thing. You never see the quality just from face value. How many of you know that you can purchase an outfit, ladies? You can purchase a jacket and you can think to yourself, oh, this is so nice and cheap. Then what happens after the first time you put it in the laundry? Or you put it in your tumble dryer and it shrinks? Or you, and you're like, oops, what happened? What happened is you bought something that wasn't a buy once, 
I often joke around with Lena when we talk about buy once things. You know, there's some things where if you purchase it, you know you're just buying it once. How many of you know that you can have boots that last you for three years, five years? Who's got, a, who's got boots like that? Where you took out your winter boots and you know, hey, I remember 2010. We've just, we've just bought a new tumble dryer. We were having problems with it. And we were trying to remember, is it still on warranty? When did we buy it exactly? And then when we double checked, our workers at our house, they said to us, it was already here when we came. And they started working for us in 2006. It's a whirlpool. There, that's an advert. They should pay me for this. It's a whirlpool. And guess what I immediately did? I thought to myself, 2006. 2006, we've had that same tumble dryer. 10.5 kgs, I think it is. That's 11 years. Guess what I immediately went to do? I went to macro. And I looked around. In fact, I asked my wife's advice. I said, my love, what type should we get? She says, get a whirlpool again. And I got a whirlpool. And I'm, if you know, whirlpool doesn't change too much. You know, we we're having a look at them. And I said, is there one that's silver instead of a white one? And they're like, no, these are American things. They will stick with their white. It will be white. All right. I got a white whirlpool that looks exactly the same like the previous one. Quality. It cost, but I know it will last us another 11 years at least. Amen? How are you building? How are you building your business? How are you building your family? And here's the principle. You are building whether it's by design or by default. How are you building this church? How are we building it? You are building whether by design or by default. How many of you have had to employ people before? You're running a business or you are managing a team at work and you've had to employ people. I coach lots of people who will say to me, hey, Paul, I've learned. I think next time round, I'm going to take more time before I choose my people. Because the people you choose, the people you pick, form a foundation. How many of you know that people are foundations? The Bible talks about how the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. How many of you know that those are people? How are you building your business? How are you building your business? How are you building your family? Are you the kind of person where when it comes to manners, you're strong on impression management? Where with your kids, oh guys, there are visitors coming, so try and act good. But when the visitors are not there, it doesn't matter how the kids act. How many of you know that's impression management? That's, let's make sure, the message and the value that you're putting across to them is, make sure you look good. Whether you're really good or not is neither here nor there. Just make sure you come across well. That's not foundations. Amen? That's not foundations. I remember there was a time where there was a certain way my kids were sitting at home on, cha on chairs and sofas. How many of you know that how you sit is important? Because if you don't train up your children in how they sit at home, they'll go and do it when they're visiting people. And I would correct them, I would correct them. And one day I saw how they were sitting when we were visiting somewhere. I've forgotten who it was, but I think it was someone quite important or respected or whatever the case might be. And I remember thinking to myself, here's the principle. If we don't sort out things at home, foundations, it will happen outside. Amen? 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says here, but each one should build with care. Each one should build with what? With care. How many of you know that care takes time? When you're doing something carefully, it takes longer than when you're doing it carelessly. And very often we, we want to rush things. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, here's the interesting thing about a foundation. If you think of a foundation of a building, it's hidden. You can't see it. And so right now, some of you might look good on the outside. Some of you might talk nicely on the outside, but it will take time to find out what your foundation is like. Some of you might be gifted externally, but it will take time to find out the foundations because foundations are hidden. And that's why one of the prayers I like praying over people is, may God help you to see beneath the smiles. As you are hiring someone for your team, as you are working with people in the church setting, may God help you to see beneath the smiles because that's where the foundation is. Those of you who've purchased homes here in Centurion, what's the thing you have to watch out for? Remember, there's sinkholes here. There's dolomite. And that's why one of the key questions you ask is, what is the foundation of this property like because of the dolomite? We've had situations at our kids' school where sometimes they've said, oh, we can't build here anymore. Oh, there can no longer be a car park here because there's dolomite. And we need to build elsewhere. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. How many of you know that that day is not now? The day will bring it to light. So when you're dealing with people, when you're dealing with things in business, in family, in schools, the day will bring it to light how you were building. You might think that you've made a quick buck today, but the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. How many of you know that God tests with fire? He's refining fire. And says, yeah, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So he's talking about foundations, then he's talking about quality, and by inference, the quality is based on the foundation. The foundation will determine the quality. The foundation that a church is built on will develop the quality of the people that come out of that church. Amen? Amen. If what has been built survives, there are a lot of things that aren't surviving. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved. I always laugh at this scripture. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. You can imagine this guy. Oh, we just made it. Okay? So you can be called by God, but building on the wrong foundation. What's the right foundation? Jesus. His principles. His culture, his values, that's the right foundation. 
So what are the principles we get from this passage? We must build on the right foundation, which is Jesus Christ. My question to you is, what foundation are you building on? What are the alternatives out there to Jesus? Are you making career decisions just based on money? Are you making career decisions purely based on mammon? Mammon is the demonic spirit. The demonic principality that controls how we spend our money. It controls greed. It controls materialism. And a lot of people, they make decisions purely based on that. Purely based on popularity. Purely based on ratings. Have you ever watched a TV series where the first series is fine, you can watch it. And in the second series, all of a sudden, these guys are jumping into bed with each other, but they weren't doing it in the first series. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you're wondering, what is going on there? What changed? Ratings. Ratings. They made a decision based on what they thought will be watched more. They made a decision based on what they thought would be watched more, which would give them more money. So they made a decision that was controlled by the spirit of mammon. Amen? Are you making decisions today, career decisions, business decisions, family choices? Are you making them purely based on what will give me more clicks? What will give me more reviews? And you're missing out on building on the foundation, which is Christ. Other principle we see in the scripture is that the quality of your work is not always known immediately. The quality of your work is not always known immediately. So sometimes you compare yourself with other people and you're like, oh, look what they're doing. The quality of the work is not always known immediately. How many of you know that there are a lot of people who seemed really great? They topped the charts. But where are they today? At a certain point, trust was broken. Where are they today? How many of you remember, I've been talking about it lately, remember Millie Vanilli? <laughs> We're dating ourselves now, right? <laughs> Go back to 1989, 1990, if you were born, right? Remember Millie Vanilli, and they came up with all those songs, Blame It On The Rain, It's A tra Tragedy For Me To See The Dream Is Over. Remember those songs? Okay, we're dating ourselves. Go ahead and just, you know, Google them. But what is interesting is it was found at a certain point that these guys were actually lip-syncing. So they looked the part. The girls were like, ooh, ooh, the guys with their braids and everything, right? What happened? After a while, after topping the charts and so on, it's like, oh, the guys can't sing. They were lip-syncing. I think the way it was found out was there was a power cut or something at a concert or something like that. Okay? I was like, oh, the power's out, but the guys are... <laughs> All right? And then what happened after that? What came out was the real voice of Millie Vanilli. The guys who had actually been singing, who could sing well. But what happened to them? I think we just weren't interested because we're like, you guys conned us. The quality of your work is not always seen immediately. Amen. Another message we get from this passage of scripture is do not build anyhow. Don't build anyhow. Many are called and are laboring in their fields, but sadly are not careful how they build. We also see the principle here that God will reward us based on the quality of what we build. You are always building something, whether by default or by design. My question to you is, are you thinking too short term? 
What are you trying to build? Are you trying to build your own ego? Are you trying to build your own empire? Or are you building the kingdom of God? Just think about that. Are you building the kingdom of God? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, they're the things that are shakable and they will be shaken. They're things that are shakable and those things will be shaken. But we must build on the unshakable. Because it doesn't matter whatever happens around you, when you build on the things that are unshakable, those things will stand. If you're in a relationship today, girls and guys, what are you building on? Are you going to leave a legacy? Are you building on the unshakable? Watch out with regards to the quality of what you build. Amen. Number nine, you and your calling are sacred. We're talking about understanding your calling. You and your calling are sacred. You and your calling are what? Sacred. You see, your calling is sacred, not because of what it is, but because of who has called you. You see, many people think that just because someone is preaching, then automatically it's a sacred calling. But if you call yourself to preaching, it's no longer sacred. What makes it sacred is who has called you. If Jesus has called you to be the best interior designer in Gauteng and to do it for the glory of God and as a glory carrier to enter people's households. I know an interior designer who's also an architect who has that grace where she enters people's households and carries the presence of God. Then that calling is sacred. You see, a calling is not sacred because of what it is. A calling is sacred because of who has called you. Who here believes they're called to be a kingdom financier? I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. I see that hand, Mutsa, I see that hand, Sean. Okay? Noted. How many of you know that a lot of people today think that because they're in business, then business is not holy? I don't know if you remember when I was being interviewed, I think it was on TV, and the guy said, hey, but, you know, business, God's way. That seems like, how does that go? They were talking about my book, Business, God's Way. How does that business, God's way? And I said to them that, you know what? From God's perspective, God is interested in all of life. And there's so much said about business and money in scripture. So you can be someone who's in business, but not glorifying Jesus. So your calling isn't sacred. But you can be someone who's received the calling to be a kingdom financier, glorifying Jesus. Your calling is sacred. Amen. I like the Bible. It goes on to say in the following verse, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? He's talking about a church. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Last time I checked, Paul's letter to the Corinthians was in the New Testament. Last time I checked. Because there are people today who are like, oh no, no, God is a loving God so he can't destroy people. Last time I checked, was it not Herod? 
who was resisting the gospel and giving praise to himself. And what happened? In Acts 12 verse 23, it says, Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Last time I checked, what we see in the book of Acts is the New Testament, huh? Okay. So before someone tells you that there are certain things that can't happen because it's New Testament Christianity, you have to say a matter is established by two or three witnesses. Last time I checked, Ananias and Sapphira, when they dropped down dead, New Testament, huh? Okay, and Herod here, New Testament, huh? So don't dispute the word of God when you see at least two things mentioned about a particular thing. You can't say, oh, it's just an exception. Amen? Amen. Now, how are people being destroyed today? A lot of people are being destroyed and they don't realize that it's because they've come against the message of Christ. And I'm going to explain it in subsequent messages. When people come against the message of Christ, there are times when we'll pray for God's mercies over certain people. There are other times when we can try and pray that and we still see some destruction coming upon them. I want you to know this morning that it's true when scripture says God will destroy that person. It says if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is, God's temple is sacred. Now you know what you were up to last night. You know what is in your mind right now. But the word of God is showing us that when our identity is right as the people of God, then all sorts of stuff that we do falls away when we realize who we are. Amen? He says, don't you guys know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Elsewhere scripture tells us, do not grieve the spirit of God. How we talk to each other, how we build each other up or tear each other down, what words come out of our lips is crucial. Your calling is sacred. God will destroy that person. Why? For God's temple is sacred. And what's God's temple? If none of us were in this room, we would not be able to say, oh, this building that we're meeting in is God's temple. I think my wife explained last week, right, that we are the household of God. And says, and together, we as the people of God are that temple. So be very careful how you treat the body of Christ. Amen? What are the principles that we get here? Corporately, we've been set apart for God's purposes. When God has called you, it means you are his property and God protects his property. Do you remember when Barack Obama came for Nelson Mandela's, Nelson Mandela's funeral? Do you remember that? And I remember I was on the highway from Pretoria to Johannesburg and we had to kind of stop and I remember these cars passing me by and I was like okay these cars are not from around you know they're these big black Fords right and there was a massive motorcade and I know that it's very strong and it's interesting I realized that because the United States values its president and would want to protect their president because they valued the president. Amen? Because when you attack the White House, when you attack the president, it's like you've attacked the nation. Amen? And I found that interesting because you always will guard and protect that which you value. God 
values you. His son Jesus Christ died and paid for you by his blood. That's how much he values you. Because you're precious cargo. Because that which you carry is precious. Amen? My question to you is, are you aware of what you carry? You see, when I'm, when I'm acknowledged that what I carry is valuable, I will guard it. I will protect it. There's a principle called guarding the anointing. How many of you know that there are things that will cause God's anointing to lift from your life? His gifts will still be there and you'll be trying to function in the gifts, but you begin to function in the flesh. Because God doesn't change his mind concerning his gifting. But how many of you know that when you're trying to maximize the call of God on your life, when you're trying to maximize the gifts of God on your life, the anointing can lift. That's where we sometimes say, oh, the grace to do that has lifted. How do you guard that? The things you do, and we'll talk about it next week when we talk about maximizing the call of God on your life. God will protect his property. People should be careful how they treat us, God's called people. You should be careful how you treat yourself and your calling. It's not just about how you treat other people, how you treat yourself and your calling. Be careful how you do so. How many of you know that you don't belong to yourself? You don't belong to yourself. It's so funny when some people say, no, it's me, it's my body, I can do what I want with it. No. The Bible says you no longer belong to yourself, you were bought for a price. If you believe in Jesus and you've accepted him, you belong completely to him. Amen. Amen. Understanding your calling means you must understand the mind of the one who called you. What is this thinking when he called you? Don't treat your calling lightly. Amen. Number 10. You are called by God to his field and his people. You are called by God to his field and his people. If you see in verse 9, if you go back to verse 9, it says, For we are, God, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. So when you say, I'm called by God, my first question is, to whom have you been called? Who have you been called to? Whenever we're helping people with their calling and with their destiny and with their purpose, we say, whom have you grown to care about? To whom have you been assigned? You see, someone can say, I'm a teacher of the word. That's fine, but who have you been called to teach? For some people, it's children. For other people, it's broken women. For other people, it's coaching people in business. For other people, it's Christians, believers, equipping them with the word. My question to you this morning is, where's your field? Where's your field? I knew a particular lady some years back. She was a businesswoman. She was a, a medical doctor actually turned entrepreneur. There are lots of those on the African continent. And what was interesting was, she said, Paul, whenever I do things in the West, they just flourish. She was involved in the mining world. She was involved in starting all sorts of things. But she says, when I do it in the West, it flourishes. When she'll do things towards Clarksdorp. You know those areas, right? Poch. You guys know those places. I always find it interesting in Gauteng how everyone comes from Clarksdorp. You know, have you noticed, you speak to people and say, where are you from? Clarksdorp. Where are you from? Clarksdorp. But it's a dorp. It's so small. <laughs> how come everyone comes from Clarksdorp? All right? 
Coltonville, those areas, right? Toward that, that direction. She says, whenever I would do things there, I would prosper. How many of you know that God can assign you to a region? You can have an apostolic assignment to a region. One of the things I say to business people, you'll find with some of them, they'll do so well when they're in a specific environment. Then the moment they cross borders, it fails. And I say to them, you need an apostolic breakthrough anointing in that particular region. You need to be sent into that region. Amen? Because some of the demons that you're dealing with here, they're not the same ones in Mozambique, my friend. They're not the same ones in Botswana, my friend. They're not the same ones in Zambia, my friend. You're dealing with different principalities. And a lot of entrepreneurs, kingdom entrepreneurs who caught on to this, they started understanding the importance of apostolic partnerships. Where we send them out into regions and then they say, wow, what is happening now? What is happening is you've got angels assisting you that you needed to assist you to take on the principalities in that region. Amen? And we'll teach more on that in the future. But there's a grace for certain fields. You see, he says here in verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. I don't care what you studied. I don't care how many degrees, that, uh, degrees you have. I've learned that it doesn't matter how educated we are. You can go into situations where you have to rely on the Spirit of God and not on what you learned academically. Amen. Education in the natural is important and I encourage it and I'm an educator myself and I'm passionate about it. But at a certain point, you find that God says, you know what, don't rely on your own flesh. You know what, when you give these people answers, don't go by what you know in the natural. I will give you the spirit of wisdom to answer them. That's why Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry about what you'll have to say, for Holy Spirit will teach you what to say at the given point in time. He was getting them to a place where they relied on his wisdom. Amen. And he says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. That's powerful. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. We've got nations on the African continent today where the people are so educated, cabinet ministers, even national presidents, but they're not using that education to build a nation. Amen? If you look at some of the poorest nations on the continent, the sad thing is they've got some of the most educated people leading them. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul, even in this case, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. Say to the person next to you, all are yours. So if God has called me to this field, if God has called me to this field, I can say, I am yours. Does that make sense? Now here's the scary thing. God gives us gifts. Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. He gives us gifts. The person sitting next to you. But there are a lot of gifts 
that are sitting in front of me right now, but they haven't yet been unwrapped. I was going to say, say to the person next to you, unwrap me, but that might not be appropriate. I'm, you know, I mean, there are a couple of cases where it's appropriate, but I think Jacques will start freaking out if Sean says that to him, okay? <laughs> but we have gifts here that have not been unwrapped and are not being used. Paul here says, all things are yours. So my question to you is, to whom have you been called? Is it broken women? And is that your posture that I'm called to these people? To whom do you belong? We belong first to Christ, but Christ sends us out as a gift to certain people to be used. Now don't abuse the gift. He didn't give you the gift to abuse, but to use. Who out there is allowed to use you? To whom are you a gift from God? Now, I know growing up, you had some guys who would go around thinking they were God's gifts to women. I'm God's gift to women. They're guys who had that mindset. Now we have to get it right. To whom has God given you? Gentlemen, you've been given as a gift to your family, to your children. You've been given as a gift to this church, this local church. You've been given as a gift to South Africa. You've been given as a gift to the African continent. You see, when you have that mindset, it breaks the pride in us of, hmm, I'll pick and choose. Who do I want to go to today? No. We are gifts and we're there to be used. Amen? Not abused, used. Number 11, number 11, we are to position our callings aright in the eyes of people. We are to position our callings aright in the eyes of people. This is a very powerful point. Have a look, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 7. And then verse 17, it says here, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. He mentions two things. He says, guys, this is how you should see us as the best thing since sliced bread. No, he says, this is how you should see us as servants of God. How many of you know that you are responsible to mentor the people around you in how they should view you? You are responsible to mentor the people around you in how they should view you. And you know what's happening in a lot of churches today? Leaders are not correcting the people in the church when the people don't see them aright. You see, Paul here says, you guys, you should view us as servants. Now, a lot of people today are being worshipped by other people and they're allowing it to happen. You know, you have in church history people who believe that their church leader was Elijah come back. And often people qualify and say, no, it was, the, it was his church people who believed that about him, not him. It was his church people. And my question is, did he stop them? Did he stop them? 
Now, some of you might think I'm saying this just applying it to church leaders. No. Even in our family setting, very often if we've got insecurities, we want our wives to worship us. We want our wives to see them, to see us as their source. We want our children to see us as their source. Are you following? I remember one particular lady when she was thanking God for his provision in front of her father. Her father said, yeah, but you must remember you've also got a dad, hey, and he also makes things happen for you. <laughs> There's something in our flesh that wants us to be worshipped. But Paul the Apostle says, you must see us as servants of Christ. He taught the people how they should see him and Apollos. Are you following? Right? But he also says something that can almost seem like a contradiction. He says, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. That's a big thing. To be entrusted... And that was part of his apostolic mission. He was a steward of mysteries from God. How do you view someone when you know that this person has got a revelation that God has entrusted him with? That's a very powerful thing. How do you view someone who you know is stewarding certain mysteries that you can benefit from? Are you following? Okay. Do you just treat them like, ah, that's just a nobody? Or do you say, wow, God has given this person revelation and that revelation is for me? Can you see the, the mixture here? View us as servants, he says, but also as those who are carrying God's mysteries. My question to you is, do you know what the person next to you is carrying? In my relationship with my wife, do I just see her as my wife? Or do I have a revelation of what she carries in the spirit? The Bible says when you receive a prophet as a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. That's the benefit of receiving that person in their ministry gift. Now you can talk about it when it comes to ministry gifts, but you can also talk about it when it comes to anything in life. Because every single person who's called by God, whatever that calling is, is carrying something. Some of you are married to people who are called to be kingdom financiers, but you stop them from giving. You can't say I'm a kingdom financier, but you're not generous as a person. Are you following me? Some of you are married to people with that calling and that mantle on their lives, but each time they want to give to the poor, each time they want to give to the church, you stop them because you don't have a revelation of what they carry. Are you following me this morning? Paul articulated how people ought to see him and Apollos. He was a great apostle. Apollos was a great preacher, yet he clarified, this is how you ought to see us. I love the way when they were in Lystria, Paul and Barnabas actually corrected the people who were trying to worship them. There were people trying to worship Paul and Barnabas in Lystria. And look how these guys corrected them. In Acts 14, verse 11 to 15, it says, 
When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lesonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. You know, that's still happening today, isn't it? It's still happening today in churches and also when people idolize pop stars. The gods have come to us, even soccer stars. You know, all those people were like, oh, Ibrahimovic, he's God in Sweden. And there are all sorts of jokes people make about these people. But it's still happening today. And my question is, how do those people respond? Do they say, more, more, that's right, keep going, worship me. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lysonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Verse 12, Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates. How are people worshiping you today? Hoping to offer a sacrifice along with the crowds. Now you might say, poor people will never worship me. Jesus said, these things that you see me doing, you will do greater than these. Maybe they're not worshiping you while your business is still small. But at a certain point where you've got that massive empire, people will start to worship you. People will go, 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 go. You just have to say, Baba, black sheep, and they'll just even listen. Make a decision today how you're going to respond when you're worshipped by people. I'm not talking about someone appreciating you. That's a different thing. I'm talking about when people begin to see you as their source. What do you do? When my children begin to see me as their source instead of looking to Jesus, what do I do? Is there that side where I think as long as I keep providing for them, they will honor me, they'll respect me. It'll be this hold I'll have on them. Or is my heart saying, you know what, guys, you need to believe God for things beyond what your parents can provide. Now look at their response. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul found out about this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd, shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men. In other words, we're just like you. We are ordinary people. What we're doing is because of God's grace. And you see, sometimes when God begins to elevate us, whether it's financial, whether it's in gifts, spiritual gifts and so on, what's the mindset? The enemy's strategy is for you to get into the flesh and to develop a culture and a mindset that somehow I've got some secret you haven't tapped into and I'm actually better than you. You understand what I'm saying? And then people come to you and they say, how do you do this? And what do you say? Their levels. <laughs> and sometimes it's the mindset of their levels and you can't do anything about it and you'll never be at my level. The fixed mindset. And here Paul and Barnabas, what do they say? They found out about it, they tore their clothes and they rushed into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God. My question to you this morning is, how do you respond when people worship you? Because everything about you came from the Lord. If you are good looking, 
Those of you who believe you're good looking, if you're good looking, did you make yourself like that? It's from the Lord, so why boast about it? Why be prideful? Just because you're better looking than your sister or your brother or whoever you compare yourself to. Amen? Do you correct the people whilst secretly enjoying their praise? We see that happening a lot, don't we? Ah, it's the Lord, my brother, it's the Lord, but inside, yes! Thank you, Jesus! Finally, they recognize me! Or does it genuinely grieve you that God isn't getting full glory? He's just getting partial glory. Some time ago, there was a person who came to me. I administered to their family. There were certain breakthroughs they had experienced. God started to answer all sorts of prayers. And the one person came to me and said, Hey, thank you. You saved our lives. And immediately I corrected the person. I said, I didn't. The Lord did. You know, I explained to them. And the person was like, Yes, yes, I mean, yeah, through the, the Lord used you, etc. But I must admit, I still had a thing in me of like, yeah, that's real ministry. Eh? When people can say that, you saved our lives. It means something happened. And so the question I asked myself is, was I grieved by that? That Jesus didn't get complete glory? Or was there a side of me that corrected the person but still had a thing in me of like, ah, okay, at least that one worked. <laughs> Amen? Number 12. Your calling is entrusted to you. When you're called by God, he's actually entrusting you with a particular thing. He's saying this gift of being able to understand music and play the keyboard, Paul, I'm entrusting you with this. So when Paul says, we are mere servants who've been entrusted with mysteries from God, that's his thing that he was entrusted with. For some of you, you've been entrusted with certain gifts. It might be a gift that is musical. It might be a voice to sing. It might be an ability with numbers that you have. It might be an ability with people where you can just connect easily with people. God entrusts you with a gift. And I love that word entrust because you know what it means? If I give Tendai something to do, okay, there are lots of Tendais in this church. There are about four of us, I think, eh? Tendai, Tendai. I'm also a Tendai, by the way. P-A-T are my initials. Paul Andrew, Tendai. I grew up being called Tendai and Tendai over here, all right? If I entrust something, it could be a responsibility to Tendai to do. Guess what's happening? It means I trust her to do it. I trust that she will do it. That's what the word entrust means. You are entrusting. You are trusting that that person will accomplish it. Isn't that wonderful that the Lord believes in us? He's like, you know what? I'm placing this gift in you because I trust that you will use it to my honor and to my glory. What has God entrusted in you? Now the Bible tells us, if you move on in the verses, it says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Can you see why it's important to know that, what God has entrusted you with? Because you must prove faithful. So here's the thing. God chooses to trust you to fulfill your calling. 
That's what he's done. I've taught a lot on trust, and one of the things about trust is trust is a choice. And he's chosen, despite what you have done, he still believes that you can fulfill your calling. It's not like he gives you certain gifts, certain talents, assignments, and then he's like, hey, I've given him that, but ah, Harvey, uh -uh, I think Harvey will love, love the pleasures of this world too much. Hey, he loves money. He's into business. I don't think he'll do it. No. When God placed the stuff that he's placed in Harvey, he's believing in Harvey, saying, you know what? Christ in you will do it. My son in you will do it. I'm believing, I'm believing. And the cloud of witnesses that we have in heaven are also with the same mindset. Ah, we can see it, we can see it. You know what our problem is? We're not in agreement with heaven. So where they're saying, go for it, go for it, you're parked off there saying, ah, but you know what, last week I did A, B, C, D. Ah, no, I don't think I'm ready yet. Ah, no, people born, born on the wrong side of the railway train. Hey, I'm from the wrong country. Mm -mm, I don't think so. Are you in agreement with what heaven is saying about you? When we were growing up, there used to be what was called the surf, surf have a go show. When we were growing up, way back, the surf have a go show. Right? Maybe people like Miriro remember it from my generation. The surf have a go show. And it was those shows where the person, people will be saying, go for it, go for it. You know when the person has to go to the next round, but they end up losing money and so on. Everyone's, go for it, go for it. And the person is like, ah, what should I do? They look to their family, what should I do? What should I do? And sometimes the guys will say, I think I'll go for it. And other times they'll say, mm, I'm going to go off the show. And some of you are prematurely saying, I'm going to go off the show. Now, some people cheat. There was a guy who looked like he was cheating because the, the quiz master will be here with the questions like this. And everyone will be saying, go for it, go for it. And this guy was like, no, no. And everyone's like, go for it, go for it. And then it looked like the guy was like, and then all of a sudden he's like, okay, I think I'll go for it. <laughs> <laughs> So are you going to go for it? Because Jesus trusts you. You see, God is not in unbelief with regards to your calling. You might be, but he's not. The Bible tells us that even if, he, if you are unfaithful, he will be faithful. Because he cannot be unfaithful to himself. That's covenantal language. He has a covenant with you saying, I've gifted you, therefore I will resource you to accomplish your calling. He can't back off on his words. Isn't that wonderful? So my question is, do you know what you've been entrusted with? Paul knew. Paul was entrusted with mysteries that God had revealed. What has he entrusted you with? For some of you, you've been entrusted with a message. You've been entrusted with what? You've been entrusted with a message. How many of you are speakers here? You've got a gift of talking to people. Yeah, we, we know, we know, we know. <laughs> Some of you, uh, who? raise your hands, even if it's one-on-one. -on -one. Now more hands are going up, right? Do you know that if you've been called to talk to people, it means you must have a message. And when I help people with their life purpose, one of the key things I say is, what's your message? The Lord actually gave me a dream about this just some nights ago. And I was in a situation where I was helping people with their life purpose. And I was saying they're the three M's. And the three M's were message, the man, 
and the multiplication. That's what I was preaching. I was saying that to people and I was explaining that revelation to them that everyone is given a message. What's your message? And then there's the man or the woman, your character. And then there's the multiplication. In other words, who are you going to pass this on to who can do the same thing as you so that you leave a legacy? Amen? What's your message? Don't say to me, Paul, I'm called to broken women. That's fine. You now know your field. But what's your message? Oh, I've been given a message of hope to give broken women. Oh, I've been given a message of healing. Amen? For some of you, you've been given a message. For others here, I'm speaking prophetically now, you've been given a method. There's a method God has given you. And if you tap into what that method is, it will, it will result in you prospering and this nation being rebuilt and nations on the continent being rebuilt. It's a methodology that God has given you. He's given you a blueprint. Don't think to yourself, oh, I'm just a numbers person and it's just a natural thing. No, God has given you a method. How many of you know that when people got a revelation or an understanding of, oh, this is how money can be transferred. You know, like Mpesa and those kinds of things, right? This is how money can be transferred, e-wallets and so on. How many of you know that some of these things come by revelation and people don't really acknowledge God in the process? Amen? There's certain innovations that are coming your way by revelation because God is not just giving you a message, he's giving you a methodology. And many people will use it because it's from heaven. It's called dreaming with God. Do you know that right now there are people who have dreams in the night season and God will just speak to them. And then they're literally building businesses based on that. Amen? Some of you have been given a solution. A solution. That's the thing you're carrying. It's a solution. For those of us who are into counseling, let's say marriage counseling or marriage coaching, some of those things, when I talk about the marriage button pushes, I didn't go and read in a book. You understand that? I didn't go and read in a book and say, oh, there are these button pushes and so on. Those are things when I'm sitting down in God's presence, he gives me almost in one go. My wife was shocked. I said, oh, yeah, I've now got these button pushes and I'm doing some cards concerning these button pushes. And she says, when did you do that? Like at what point? Because she knew how busy I was. It just came. Amen? What is the solution God has given you? For some of you, it's a cause that you're carrying. A cause that you're carrying. What is that? Number 13. We're accountable to God with regards to how we handle our calling. We're accountable to God with regards to how we handle our calling. Paul says in verse 3, he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. How many of you know that there are lots of human courts around? How many of you know there are lots of human courts around? A court isn't just somewhere where you go and there's a legal transaction. Sometimes when we talk about human courts, we're just talking about people judging you. Amen? In my home language, in Shona, it's the term kugadzwadare. That's the term kugadzwadare. And I remember my dad used to use it when, when he felt people were judging him, you know? And he would use that. But officially, that basically means being taken to court. But if we're just having a conversation here, there are people who can take you to court. Does that make sense? 
And so Paul here says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. You know what our problem is? We care too much. If you want to understand your calling, you can't care too much about judgments from people. And some of you aren't maximizing on your calling because you care too much. He says, indeed, I do not even judge myself. That's speaking of blind spots. Sometimes when we are judging ourselves, they're blind spots. How many of you know that there are a lot of people out there who, who believe their own press? You know what I mean by believing your own press? Where you're praising yourself and you've convinced yourself that, yeah, well, yay, this is me. Right? He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Just because someone feels fine about doing something doesn't mean it's fine. How many of you know that there are a lot of people in the world whose consciences have become seared, even Christians, because they're very worldly in their mindset and haven't renewed their minds? So he says here, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, now here's the principle. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Do not judge a church before the appointed time. Because a church can be massive, but the quality is not right. The foundation is not right. A church can still be small. But he says, do not judge anything before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. I don't know about you, but I'm more interested in the praise I'll receive from God than the praise from man. Amen? Some of you are judging your life choices right now too much based on what people are saying about you. Ah, if they liked it, that means I'm on track. After preaching today, it doesn't matter how many people come to me and say, Paul, it was great. Paul, it was great. I have to discipline myself to go to the Lord and say, Lord, did I share that from a pure motive? Lord, was it pleasing to you? Amen? Because there'll be days where no one will say, ah, it was good, it was good. But God will be applauding. Amen? Then there'll be other days where everyone is applauding, but heaven isn't. You know, we see it happening a lot in our families, don't we? You can buy your spouse a nice gift and she can just think, oh, my husband is amazing. Oh, my wife is amazing. But the Lord knows the motives. Maybe you are doing it so that they don't attack you about an area of weakness that you currently have. Maybe something you've recently confessed. And so you were just doing it because of that as a form of manipulation. They are happy. But the Bible here says... At that time, each will receive their praise from God. What time? When he brings to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the hearts. What are the principles here? We should not be enslaved to man's judgment or opinion. We should be cautious about our blind spots and believing our own press. God will judge our work. And God takes into consideration our hidden motives when he judges us. Our main interest should be the praise and honor that comes from God. Amen? Amen. Number 14. 
Can I, let, me just, let me just read verse 6 first. It says, Now brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your own benefit. In other words, he wasn't just talking about apostolic ministry. He's saying, I'm talking to you brothers and sisters so you can apply these principles in your own lives. He says, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over and against the other. How many of you know that pride isn't just pride in what you do? It can also be pride in who you're associated with. So when one person says, I prefer Paul, and another one says, I prefer Apollos, well, my pastor is better than your pastor. My pastor is tougherer than your pastor. When people do that kind of thing, it's actually pride, where they're living through someone else. My sports team is better than yours. So there are a lot of people who might support a particular team, a particular soccer team, and it actually becomes a source of pride. Amen? Amen? My family is better than your family. My tribe is better than your tribe. It's not just about me, the individual. It's now I'm proud of who I am and where I come from and I think we are better than you. That's flesh. Number 14. Our gifts and callings are completely from God. Verse 7 says, For who makes you different from anyone else? Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? Who can tell me something they have in their lives that they didn't receive? You see, a source of pride is where people are like, I'm a self-made man. No one taught me this. I wasn't mentored by anyone. I'm a self-made man. That's the flesh. He says, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So you have the wealthy child at school boasting about his wealth. It happens a lot, doesn't it? And I'm saying this guy's got nothing to do with that money. Everything, every little cent was given by the parents. But the guy is boasting about it like he did it. You see, we have breakthrough in understanding our callings, the call of God on your life, when you understand that everything you have is a gift from God. If you've suddenly come into wealth, the Bible tells us very clearly, do not say it is because of my own strength that I've become wealthy, for it is I, the Lord, who gives you the power to create wealth. How is wealth created? You're using your gifts and people are paying you money to do that. But it's all from God. Just remember that. It says that in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 17 to 18. Otherwise you may say in your heart. In other words, we often don't say it out aloud. But you may say it in your heart. My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to make wealth. Amen? Amen. You see, when we're called and gifted, our flesh has the tendency to boast. And that's what must die. That's what needs to die. And then finally, number 15... Whatever you do must be replicable. 
Say to the person next to you, replicable. How many of you struggled with that? Whatever you do must be replicable. In other words, other people should be able to learn from you. You know that that's one of the great things about John G. Lake. How many of you remember John G. Lake? Lived in the turn of the century, right? Last century. And one of the nice things about John G. Lake, he was greatly used in the gifts of healings and in healing the sick by faith. And what was interesting is he's from the States, but he's the guy who basically came to Southern Africa and was basically the founder of AFM, right? And what was interesting about him is a lot of people have been able to learn about the healing ministry because what he did was he wasn't just the hired holy man from the North. What he did was he had certain healing principles and healing secrets that he learned from the word of God that enabled other people to also heal the sick. Amen? And so they experienced so many healings. So, so many healings. Right? And what I think is powerful about his work is that it was replicable. He did it in such a way where you couldn't just say, oh, there are levels. But he said, if you do A, B, C, D, you will grow in the healing ministry. My question to you is, are you leaving a legacy? God is a generational God. He's multi-generational. Whatever he's called you to do should be something someone else can also do by you passing it on to them. Amen? So that you start having many of you doing the particular thing. And when God spoke to me in that dream and said, multiply, multiply, multiply. That's why I started thinking to myself, okay, marriage coaching institute. We have to have other people also doing this and the thing needs to multiply. Amen? Right? So we see that God is generational. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For this reason I've sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Multiplying it to the next generation. God is generational. God wants you to leave a legacy. True disciple makers pass on something to the next generation. True builders multiply themselves. My question is, does your vision have a multi-generational dimension. Does your vision, the thing you want to do, does it have a multi-generational dimension? Amen. Let's pray.